0: Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, results, great interviews, and just so much more, all about the world of rugby union. As always, I am David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. So this week, there was a a ton of rugby, including what were two surprise matches, at least for me anyway. And on top of all that, it was my birthday on Saturday. So long story short, we're going to skip right over all the usual admin stuff so we can just get right into the action. So, as always, if you'd like to reach out, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram. And you can always just email me via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So, with that being said, let's get right to the action. So, as I said, we're skipping the usual stuff and we're getting right to the reviews this week. So, we're going to start with the URC. I didn't even realize until, like, the day before, but there were two makeup matches scheduled in South Africa for the URC. Nice little bonus surprise birthday rugby for me. But, of course, there were technical issues in the second game, which we will certainly get to in just a bit. But first up, I have to say it was really lucky because the game I had wanted to watch at 8 a.m. on my birthday had in fact been canceled just the day before, with Cardiff being awarded a walkover 28-0 victory over an absolutely enraged uh, French side, whose owners basically pulled a Scotland from the last Rugby World Cup and threatened vague legal action. It was it was pretty great actually. I love that they actually say how pissed they are instead of just doing the whole, well, it's a very disappointing decision. I, I can't quite understand it, but it wasn't my decision to make, and in the end, we can only do our job and all that, all that stuff. Instead. Quote, the decision of the EPCR is therefore taken in violation of its own regulations. It is incomprehensible and seriously prejudices the club and the fairness of the competition. Buscatel added, the Champions Cup is a very prestigious competition. Its organizers cannot afford to make arbitrary decisions that are contrary to its own regulations. This decision is irresponsible. I've decided to convene an LNR board of directors meeting as a matter of urgency to discuss the follow up including legal action to be taken on this decision unquote <laughs> got to love it it's great of course nothing happened in any event that meant that morning for my little birthday starter starter uh, 8am match it was either going to be bath versus leinster and i think i knew how that one was going to turn out or a nice little sunny lions versus sharks match so guess what i picked that one ended up being a great match. It ended up 47 to 37, entertaining the whole way, with 11 tries scored between the two teams. Oh, Macazzoli Malpimpi, he snagged himself a hat trick. He was so good on the day. And fellow Springbok Lacanio Am also got himself a try. And it was just great to see so many of these players in action once again. It's like a, oh yeah, that guy. Oh yeah, that guy. When they're out of sight, I just find it's really, it's too easy to forget just how good they are. So later on, the Bulls were home for Stormers. And pretty much everyone was expecting them to take care of business, but in the first half, it was all Stormers. The second, however, was a different story, and it really got exciting right up until the moment the entire broadcast failed. Basically, as far as I can tell, all of their technology failed at once. It even took them about five minutes just to get a technical issues type of message on the screen at all. And then when the action did re- return, there was no score, there was no time visible. The TMO as well as the feed that's supposed to go to the main comms were just all completely down. So Jakob Piper, the lead official, I thought he did a great job of rolling with it, and he was fair to both teams as he sort of explained very carefully to them. He was just going to have to continue to rely on his own judgment and what he saw on the pitch along with his assistants because there was literally no way to look at any reviews, period. Oh, URC. I mean, they haven't played in like two months. There was the absurd fiasco of trying to keep Omicron from getting to the UK by keeping some rugby clubs in their hotels in South Africa, when of course it was already the primary strain in the UK before most of the players were even allowed to come home. And now they they finally get back out there, having had no teams to play against for all this time, and poof, the entire broadcast turns into a pumpkin with at least the last 15 minutes apart from the other blackout I told you about, the last 15 minutes were also just simply not there. I had to go look it up in the end, and I discovered that the Stormers had indeed upset the home side, though just nearly. It was 26 to 30 in the end. Oy vey, URC. You guys just can't seem to put it together yet. Come on. Anywho, let's move on to this weekend in the Challenge Cup. And of course, as these are the, the pool stages, I still can't actually watch these, so all I've got really for you is the scores to report. So on Friday, it was Leon hosting Benetton, and Leon won 25 to 10. The next game was Edinburgh hosting Breve, and they won 66 to 3. Wait, what? So on my birthday, Zebra hosted Worcester and couldn't find a win, as typical for them. It was 26 36 in the end. Gloucester played Perpignan and won 68 to 19. Wait, what? Uh, Toulon versus Newcastle was canceled as of, I think, the 20th. And then on Sunday, Saracens fairly well smashed the London Irish 45 to 24 with the total in that one. So that, of course. Brings us to the main attractions for this weekend with the Champions Cup on Friday the 21st. Oh man, love the Friday rugby. It's so good. It was Harlequins hosting cast. And you know, it's definitely one of those things I need to pay more attention to. Because Harlequins had already secured their pathway to the knockout stages of this tournament, they didn't really have to fret over the results. So nine, count them, nine of the starting 15 from last week were given the night off. And despite the presence of the likes of Joe Marler, Louis and of course, my man crush, Alex Donbrandt, I was a little worried about this, how this you know, semi-experimental side would hold up, especially with new newcomers both at 9 and 10. That seemed very risky to me. So, down 8. Uh, 8 to nothing, I should say, in just under three minutes. It looked bad early on, but Harlequins, they didn't look worried. <laughs> Quote, you can't make a comeback in the last 20 minutes unless you're seriously down, unquote. That was the opinion of Austin Healy uh, doing comms, who is definitely starting to grow on me a bit. So cast did build a bit of momentum, but Harlequins, they just wouldn't go away, as is their habit. Then a yellow card from Marlar and the comms mentioned he didn't really seem to complain too much about it. Yeah, yeah, guys, that's because he knows he gets away with about 25 things for the one thing they actually ping him with. Come on. Anyway, very close, as it turned out, in this one. 22 to 23 closing out the half and quote, a very watchable first 40 minutes, a half a dozen tries evenly split said the comms and they were right. So it was 29 to 23 at the 50 minute mark. And that's when I learned something new through watching Joe Marchant. So apparently if you do that thing where it kicks going into touch and you're trying to save it and keep it in play, you know, you do that thing and jump up and sort of bat it in the air and try to keep it in. If you do that, even if the ball does go back in play, Your feet then have to land back in bounds as well. It doesn't matter if you were in the air when you slapped it. You just, if you can't stick the landing, it's retroactively out of bounds on you. Just a little nuance I had never crocked before. Kind of cool. Thanks, Joe. So it was 29 to 33, 11 minutes later as Marcus Smith came on and the crowd was fully in with just the 10 minutes to play. And all my notes seem really negative after this. I just, somehow this put me in a really bad mood. I wrote, this one actually kind of turned into a bummer because as soon as, Marcus Smith came on <clears throat> the, the ref just kind of put his whistle away entirely. Seriously, there were he, Smith made 3 if not 4 forward passes and they ranged from pretty to glaringly obvious. Just really felt like Cast got screwed on that one and it just kind of continued to feel like BS at the end even with my boyfriend scoring the winning try that just flat out sucked for Cast. I feel like they got jobbed over and over in this one and you know me if you listen I pretty much spend zero time complaining about the officials. This just seemed egregious. It's weird. I went into this match really hoping Harlequins would win. I've been really enjoying them recently, but <clears throat> when it ended, I was super mad that they actually did. Just what an inconsistent performance by the lead official. Uh, I don't like rugby players getting the LeBron James. You can do no wrong treatment by refs that I don't feel like that fits here. Marcus Smith is already one of the best players out there. He doesn't need to be getting away with stuff. let Anyway, as I say, it was still great to have a hard-fought match on birthday eve. 36-33 to 33 was the final. Really felt a little steamed about that result, for sure. Anyway, on my birthday, as I mentioned, Toulouse were going to be playing Cardiff, and that one was canceled on the 21st. Ugh. So, instead, it was Bath versus Leinster. I did eventually make myself watch this. Uh, might have kind of skipped little bits. It was a complete ass-kicking. It was 7-67. Over the course of three Heineken Cup matches, Leinster scored. Wait for it. 198 points. They're averaging 66 points per outing. That is just unbelievable. And Beth, you know, maybe maybe for this season, you just maybe, I don't know, switch to soccer or something? Anyway, after that was supposed to be Leicester versus Bordeaux, but that one was also canceled on the 21st, which led us to Ulster versus Clermont. This one, it was it was pretty ugly for most of it. It was a laugher throughout, right until Damien penno came on. And then suddenly... Claremont just couldn't be stopped, and Ulster just barely escaped this one with a three-point win. It was 34-31, to 31 with Claremont just knocking on the door right at the end. This was sort of exactly that stereotype about the schizophrenia of French teams. Uh, it felt like a weird throwback to five or six years ago when that was much more accurate thing to, to pin them with, I guess. The comms, they were practically pulling their hair out, wondering why it took them like 60 or 65 minutes to actually start playing. It was truly bizarre, but exciting. So this, after being notably bored throughout the vast majority of the contest, the the comms I mean, when they were just absolutely piling on and just pouring dirt on Claremont's grave, if they had actually managed to come all the way back and either tie or win this one, I think the entire broadcast booth might have just had heart attacks or maybe just the whole thing might have just exploded. It was too funny. Moving on. Next up was Scarlet versus Bristol. I didn't expect this one to stay close, and hey, look at me. I was right about something. Scarlets dropped this one by uh, at home by 31 points. It was 21 to 52, all told. And as I didn't bother to take any notes uh, at all for this one, I'll just borrow from the uh, the EPCR website and link that in the show notes. Quote, Scarlets has got off to a good start in the second half with Patchell kicking a 43rd-minute penalty, but it was a yellow card shown to Elias on 56 minutes that really turned the game. A penalty to try to Bristol followed, and although Johnny McNichol crossed for the Scarlett's just before the hour, the visitors capitalized on the extra space. Harry Thacker jogging over on 62 minutes, and even after Scarlets were back up to the full complement of players, the Bristol tries kept coming with Piers O'Connor, Stephen Nolago, uh, Callum Sheedy, and a second try from Rondrandra concluding the bonus point win. It was a great another great great game for uh, Rangjandra, by the way. It's fun to see him in full flight, I guess. Moving on, this one was going to be at three in the afternoon, my, so my plan. As I have mentioned about 142 times, it was my birthday. So I had the whole day of these matches mapped out starting at 8 a.m. My plan was to start day drinking like at 8. I was like, okay, set the alarm early, take a shower, drink a coffee so you can crack a beer at 8. And then when the day actually came, I just totally pussed out. I was like, you know what? Glasgow isn't playing until 3 o'clock this afternoon. I, I'm not starting drinking at 8 a.m. I'm just not doing it. So it ended up being a, a pretty light day after all. Anyway... I did get myself pretty keyed up, though, just excitement-wise for the Glasgow game. As I say, I was waiting for it, to sort of all match. It was the the starred match on my list, and ooh, this one was painful. I had really got myself keyed up for it, but just from the get-go, it was obvious that La Rochelle had twice the energy and resolve as the Warriors would on the day, and that didn't change throughout the entire match for sure. Glasgow made it look respectable on the board Scoreboard. Scoreboard, <laughs> the scoreboard. That sounds gross. Uh, the scoreboard at the end. Uh, but that was all in what we'd call in the NFL garbage time. It was just never in doubt. Just up and down dominance from top to bottom. The Warriors were really out to lunch for some reason. I'm not even quite sure what happened with them. Final score was a very misleading 30-38, to 38, with Ollie Smith, though, getting embraced in his first ever European action, so good for him. I guess there's a tiny piece of good news on the day for the Warriors. Glasgow was still technically alive in the tournament after this match, but their fate was tied to action to follow, so stay tuned for that. On the Sunday, it was Sale hosting Ospreys. As usual, the broadcast I got to watch had only the final bits of the starting lineups for these teams. But when they showed a picture of Josh Thomas, who was playing fly half for the Ospreys that day, I wrote, Josh Thomas plays and is 10. I mean, he looks like a decade away from starting shaving. In fact, he doesn't look as much like a product of Ospreys Academy as a current prospect for Ospreys Elementary. Anyway, though, to be fair the fact that he looks like a baby and he's out there, that should probably tell me that he's a hell of a talent. So I was definitely keen to see how it went. I wasn't too familiar with him before then. I did notice it was sweet. Danny Kerr just kind of spontaneously showed up at one point to see if he needed a drive home to make sure he got it home in time for story time. So, oh, he he must be a tired little bucko this morning. (laughs) Anyway, by the way, side note, does anyone know where Faf de is? I, I know he's injured and it was pretty serious, but for a while there... People were all mentioning him, speculating on when he'd be back, and generally just bemoaning his absence, but for, I don't know, several weeks now, I simply haven't even heard his name. Is he in a witness relocation program, maybe? Anyway, both teams had a hard time getting their footing early on, although AJ did look sharp, as always. Two disallied tries for uh, sale within the first 12 minutes. I felt that was a, a poor omen, definitely, for Ospreys. The comms mentioned Ospreys would need a draw at minimum to secure a spot in the next stages. But sure enough, almost as soon as they said it, AJ dropped a gorgeous crossing kick, and it was finally a try on the board for sale. At one point, I got a good look at the Osprey's coach late in the first half. I have to admit, I had no idea that Emperor Palpatine was even interested in rugby, much less able to coach at such a high level. Amazing. I wonder what he told the guys. Use your aggressive feelings, boy. Let the heat flow through you. In any event, Ospreys did manage to get a penalty kick before the intermission, but it only took Sale about eight minutes to get another try in the second half. The bonus point try wasn't far behind, with the Welsh side continuing to struggle. Yet another try disallowed for Sale into the final quarter, while Ospreys finally managed to get one of their own, but this one, it looked like it was only ever going one way from the start. Sharks got to 35 at the 72-minute mark, 42 a couple minutes later, the visitors looked completely stymied. Then, at the very death, lewd blink blink de Jager, who had been his usual dominant self all day, made a gorgeous and perfectly p- placed pass for a try assist. The affair closing somewhat predictably, the home side getting a big 49 to 10 win and effectively ending Ospreys' European aspirations. Though I have a feeling they might be a little more relieved than downcast at this point. A good showing by the unpredictable Sharks on the day for sure. Next we had Stade Français versus Connacht. What? An unreal ending. So I've mentioned on the pod many times, I am a big fan of Connacht. My boys from Galway must be absolutely gutted. And the the batshit crazy ending had huge implications for other clubs and their ultimate fates in this European tournament. But we'll look at that at the end when everything has fallen into place. So the collapse for Connacht, it began late when victory looked so certain that you could kind of see the players relaxing a little bit. And that was a mistake. Pouring in three tries and a penalty kick all after the 50-minute mark, Stad overcame multiple cards to snare a 37-31 victory in front of their home crowd. And my question about from last week about, where's Lamape? Well, it was answered by him, scoring a try and generally bashing people around like bowling pins. The margin of victory for the home side was exactly what they needed to get a spot in the top eight. So the scene at the end of this one was at once one of unabashed jubilation and of utter despair on the two sides. Very, very tough one for Connick, to be sure. Next up was Munster hosting Wasps. Munster looked pretty in control of this one right from the very start. They had all the energy and all the attitude, and Wasps just kept doing that thing where they'd get closer and closer, closer and closer, then boof! Knock it on, or flub it away, or generally somehow find a way to shoot themselves in the foot. It it felt like they stopped believing themselves a little bit. I mean, I didn't actually get to talk to them about about it, but that's what it looked like. With the score already at 24-7 despite a Munster yellow card, A Wasps player sustained what turned out to be a pretty serious injury. Uh, It took a a very long time to get him ready to be carted off at all. Uh, I need to look that one up so I can tell you a little bit more about it, which I will in just a minute. But it did not look good at the time. That was only a couple of minutes before halftime. And at that point, Wasps, they just started to look like they just wanted to escape this one with their lives. And as I said, quick update on that. I did look it up this morning. That player was Thomas Young. It was a scary injury to, quote, the head and neck, unquote. He stayed in hospital overnight. Wasps have said they're going to issue an update today, but as of the time I'm recording right now, they have not said anything, at least that I can find. Sorry about that. Anyway, interesting officiating in this one. I've never seen so many scrums just collapse with no penalty call really ever being given. They would have just crash to the ground and the ref would say, use it, and that was that. Very oddly done, I thought. Uh, he wasn't above uh, like moving a scrum for a reset if need be, but he just seemed absolutely intent on not calling scrum penalties. Uh, Maybe he decided that ahead of time. I don't know how that works. In any event, Wasps, they couldn't find any more points in the entire second half while Munster just slowly poured it on with a final try for, I'm I'm pretty sure it was Rory Scannell dotting it down after the clock had gone red. That made the score 45 to seven all told. And three of the four Irish sides had pretty good days this weekend. Next up, was Rassing ninety two versus Northampton? I had really been looking forward to this one, and as far as I could tell, it was the it was only on Saturday that they actually canceled it. I had no idea until I was getting ready to watch it. So Rassing got the twenty eight to nil walkover. As I said uh, just yesterday to John Anderson when we chatted this weekend, it sure is a good thing they kept those three teams in South Africa and those hotels. It really did the trick for keeping Omicron out of the UK. Dodged a bullet with that one. <laughs> okay. When I listed all the matches I had planned to watch this weekend, I I don't know how, but I had somehow just completely overlooked this one. And even on paper, it's got to be one of the best of the weekend. I don't know how. It just went right over my head. So on top of getting the extra South African treats for my birthday, there was also this. I love surprise rugby. It's always nice. The entire Super 6 season last year was like that for me. Uh, in fact, it wasn't until John Anderson of the Scottish rugby podcast mentioned during our latest chat that he was looking forward to that, to to the match that evening, that it even appeared on my radar. Uh, I really had a great feeling heading into this one, the last match of the weekend for me. And by the way, John and I had a lovely chat about the upcoming six nations as well as all things Scottish rugby. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, I urge you to check it out. It it was a great time. Of course, we're talking about Scottish rugby, so we tend to go on a bit. So for me, it's a long one, but entirely worth your while. I'm sure. In any event, this one looked very interesting en papier. Um, quick side note before we get into it. Do all French clubs have mascots? I feel like I rarely see mascots in rugby, but I saw two today, including some of some uh, some sort of weird anthropomorphic hot pink cat for Claremont. Um, and now, I mean, what was that thing? A pantomime horse? So if you have insights into the French club rugby mascots, I demand you let me know. The comms made an interesting comment right at the start saying that Montpellier had named their strongest possible side, and then they went on about how much better they'd be on the day than last week, and then they added, oh, with the exception of 9 and 10, and I was like, what? Our strongest squad except for the guys who distribute the ball? Uh Uh-oh. Anyway, so both sides looked really aggressive, really focused to start. The visitors drew first blood, getting an unconverted try before 10 minutes had elapsed, Another side note: It was almost, almost, mind you, almost funny. The way the comms kind of bent over backwards, just trying not to criticize the EPCR for how these tournaments have unfolded this year. They did the whole, well, uh, the, the EPCR, the the the, the group that um, oversees or or facilitates these tournaments. Uh, while they haven't always, or while while it hasn't always been straightforward. Still, it, uh, unquote. I don't think they ever finished that thought. Good work, EPCR. You are the group that oversees or facilitates this not straightforward thing. Put it on your merchandise. Okay. Anyway, back to the game. Oh my word. Number 14 from Montpellier, just completely, and utterly outgassed, like half of the opposition. That guy is mind-bogglingly fast and shifty. Holy cow. So I'm probably going to butcher his name. This is the first time I'm trying to say it. But I think it's uh, uh, Nagandebe. That's it. Gabriel Nagandebe. Not a complete butchering. Gabriel Nagandebe. So I imagine there is approximately a 100% chance that we'll see him wearing the French blue in the very near future. He is unbelievable. It was like watching a Corvette racing against Honda Civics. Just a different level altogether. So the home side, they got another just before the end of the first quarter of play, and it was 14-5 to after half of a half. Quote, three tries in 22 minutes, unquote, say the comms soon after, and quote, one more will secure their spot in the final 16, unquote, and it looked to be all systems go for Montpellier. As I said, I had been avoiding looking at all the various iterations and permutations of how the next stages would unfold, basically because if you go to either the EPCR website or even check Twitter while there are still results you don't know about, it's just too dangerous. You're going to see stuff you don't want to see. But by the way the comms were talking at that point, I was deducing that Exeter, all they needed to do was uh, to assist Glasgow with any chance of advancing um, was to play well and to keep Montpellier from getting a bonus point, I think it was. It was a little confusing at the time, but it did lead to this. The comms were saying, because the the score started to look bad. And uh, it it started to look more and more hopeless for Glasgow as they were sitting at home. And so one of the comms said, quote, If I was a Glasgow fan starting this game hiding behind the couch, I think I would have left the room and gone down to my local bar by now, unquote. And that one was funny enough, but it came after the the even better one when a a guy on comms said, I have a feeling there are a lot of dog leads being attached to collars at the moment. Maybe a, a lot of people deciding to take their dogs for a walk in Glasgow. <laughs> this sport is the best. Anyway, the Chiefs are no-walkover club, and Simmons got another try before the half. 24-12 to 12 was the double up within the waning minutes of the first stanza. In the second half, after about an 18-minute blackout—no, no, not me, the broadcast itself— uh, the visitors had retaken the lead by two, and the clock clicked down into the final 20— Man, oh man, it was actually the second time the broadcast just dumped this weekend. What is this, the URC? Come on. Anyway, incredibly exciting way to end this weekend. 15 minutes left in it, still the two-point lead. Henry Slade gets a turnover to really give his team a shot in the arm, but they'd turn it over again almost immediately. With other teams' fates in the balance, as well as their own Montpellier, took three for a penalty smack dab in the middle of the field, getting the slimmest possible lead back with 12 and change to go. Then I wrote, gah! Kobus Reinick. And to be fair, I've been going on and on about Cobus Reinick as a fan for, like, the entire life of this podcast. But, he got the bonus point try for Montpellier, and the comms describe it as curtains for Glasgow, which I have found very charming. Frankly, after their performance this weekend, anyway, they might need to take a little bit of a rest. Maybe, I don't know, drink a smoothie or something. It's curtains for you, Rocky. Curtains. No. No, not that. No, no. Curtains, you understand? Curtains oh they're adorable so it was Montpellier by eight with nine left with nothing on for either side it's just everything stopped working eventually it was down to whether or not the away team would get a losing bonus point which would in itself send ripples through the seedings and so forth for the next stages in Europe 37 to 26 however was how the weekend would come to an end with the two-thirds of the match I was able to watch they were pretty exciting Oh, no there was three quarters I bet Uh, Very exciting indeed, though. And that, my friends, was the final piece that needed to fall into place to unlock the mystery of who would be the lucky 16 going into the ensuing rounds. So as I said earlier, the EPCR are pretty obviously a ham-handed and tone-deaf bunch of nincompoops, but the tournament that they, what, oversee or, or facilitate, despite their best efforts, has become quite compelling, and the fabled rounds of 16 are in place. So... European rugby won't return until April, and if you're an American listener who maybe is watching these games for the very first time, I know what you're feeling right now. It's kind of like having somebody dump a bucket of cold water on you. You know, you finally pieced it all together, the matchups are set, you get to know these teams, you're looking forward to it. Oh, by the way, you can't actually watch them for about three months. In any event, as I said, the fixtures for these matches, uh, for these tournaments are, well, fixed and they are as follows. So, the weekend of the 8th, 9th, and 10th of April, we'll see Stade Francais hosting Racing 92. bordeaux Beg will be at home for La Rochelle. Ooh, two all-French matches right off the start. That's awesome. Toulouse will be at home to host Ulster. Montpellier welcome ever-dangerous Harlequins. Claremont will face Leicester. Connick somehow have themselves a home game against Leinster. Oh, God. The Chiefs are back home for a very tough Munster squad. And finally, Sale Sharks will be home for the only intra-league contest as they face the Bristol Bears. So that wraps up the first leg of the Heineken Cup round of 16, while in the Challenge Cup that same weekend, Breve are going to be likely pooping their pants a little bit in anticipation of a visit from Saracens. Biarritz are welcoming Toulon. Benetton will have to deal with Perpignan. Newcastle have a likely cakewalk in welcoming Zebre. Edinburgh are at home to face oh, sorry, Poe. Very, very curious about that one. I don't know if I've ever seen those two teams play each other. And, of course, Dragons host Gloucester at Rodney Parade in Newport. Whew! Now that's a lot of rugby. Also, I think the EPCR website will start offering streams of the Challenge Cup action once we get to April. But I'm definitely going to have to double-check and make sure. They did that last year, and they said this year they would, but (laughs) we all know uh, about statements made by this organization or group or whatever we're calling them. Okay, of course, that brings us to our coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award for the week. And this week, I have decided to bestow the honors on Ulster's Robert Balakoon. Mr. Balakoon, you were everywhere for your team this weekend, scoring a try, grabbing two critical turnovers, the only two your team made, making nine tackles from the wing, and generally being a thorn in the side of Claremont all day long. Your side enjoyed 61% of the territory in this one, and with your help, won the battle of total defenders beaten 28-17, to Ulster are unbeaten in this tournament, and you've been a big part of that the whole way. Congratulations, my friend. You are the lucky recipient of this week's prestigious Diamond in the Ruck Award. Please enjoy all the fame and adoration about to come cascading your way. So, previews for next week. And as as we've already gone over, the European competitions do go into hibernation now until the spring which means it's back to your regularly scheduled action for the two weeks leading up to the start of Six Nations and also the opening day from Major League Rugby here in the U.S. So that means in the URC on Friday night, we'll get Dragons versus Benetton and Ulster versus Scarlets. Then on Saturday, we'll have Lions versus Bulls. We'll have Connacht versus Glasgow. That'll be a battle of two teams really feeling the sting from this weekend. Uh, the Sharks will host the Stormers. Zebrae will try to get a win against Munster. Uh, I wish them luck. Ospreys will host Edinburgh, and finally, Cardiff will be playing Leinster. So things will not be getting any easier for the team formerly known as the Blues. Then, over in the Prem, we'll get one, three, and two matches on the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, respectively. And that will be Bath versus Harlequins. Guess I won't be watching that one on Friday. London Irish will be at home for Exeter. Newcastle versus Gloucester. Worcester hosting uh, Northampton. Sale versus Leicester, and the final one for the weekend Wasps versus Saracens. I'm hoping that's good, but Wasps look like they're having major troubles right now. Well, my friends, that should just about do it for this week. Wherever you are in the world, thank you so much for listening and for reaching out. I hope more and more of you continue to do so. It's always great. So, as always, you can find me on Twitter at of Scrum, you can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram, and you can always just email me via Earth at gmail.com. If you could bring yourself to leave me a nice review, that would be magic. And if you like what we're doing here, there are a couple of ways you can show your support listed in the show notes for this very episode. Thank you again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And Be well.